Welcome to the Broadband Bunch, a podcast about broadband and how it impacts all of us. Join us to learn about the state of the industry and the latest innovations and trends. Connect with the thought leaders, pioneers, and policymakers helping to shape your future through broadband. Join us on Facebook at The Broadband Bunch and see the latest episodes, news, and photos. The Broadband Bunch, as always, sponsored by ETI Software. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Broadband Bunch, along with my colleague, Brad Hine. I'm Craig Corbin. Thanks so much for joining us today. The challenge of bridging the seemingly ever-increasing digital divide is one of global importance, especially in light of increased demands for broadband connectivity in order to support the virtual workplace, distance learning, telehealth, and so much more. One of the companies leading that charge is Southern California-based Geolinks. The telecommunications company and Selec Public Utility ranked among Inc. Magazine's 5,000 fastest-growing companies in America three years running. With seats on a wide array of national boards, coalitions, and working groups, including the Wireless Internet Service Providers Association, or WISPA, Broadband Consortium of the Pacific Coast, and the FCC's Broadband Deployment Advisory Committee, among others, Geolink is truly an industry thought leader. Our guest today is the Chief Executive Officer of Geolink. He's been honored as one of the 40 under 40 by the Pacific Coast Business Times, most influential leaders of 2018 and 2019 by the San Fernando Valley Business Journal, and honored by Insights Success as one of the 30 most inspiring entrepreneurs of 2019. It is a pleasure to introduce the co-founder and chief executive officer of Geolinks, Skylar Ditchfield. Skylar, welcome to the Broadband Bunch. Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to uh, diving into these topics together. Absolutely. It is It is such uh, uh, an important time in the industry, uh, and obviously there is, is so much to talk about. But before we get into that, always interested to learn a little bit from your perspective about how things all began with Geolinks and your background there. Oh, yeah. Great question. I'll try to keep it short because it is a long story, but it really goes back to the roots of my childhood. I've always had a, a deep interest in communications, whether it was playing with uh, portable phones, CB radios, early infrared uh, data communications, uh, stringing up uh, network connections with with uh, 22 gauge speaker wire between homes in our neighborhood. Uh, those are some of my early day stories that slowly translated into what became uh, in my early teen years, uh, running a, a dial-up bulletin board system, uh, dial-up internet service provider, and then ultimately led to me starting an internet services company um, uh, here uh, called Geolinks in 2010. I had an IT services company prior to that in the early 2000s. I started and sold, uh, grown it pretty big in, in our hometown and a couple other business ventures in the IT field. But I had always had a desire for communications, um, but you know, IT had been one of my focuses early on. So uh, I, my cousin, who is my co-founder, we're 10 days apart. We've grown up together and played with all the technology stuff growing up, uh, got together in uh, July of, of 2011. And um, he had let me know he was doing some wireless internet services that were connecting rural residents back in a canyon. And I asked him how much money he was making. And he said, 
nothing. It's just fun. I said, well, do you want to make it a business? He said, yes. <laughs> and uh, 30 days later, we had put all those 45 people on billing and we were off to the races. <laughs> that is a great story. Now, Skyler, I, uh, everyone knows uh, that's familiar with uh, fixed wireless industry. They they associate Geolinks with, uh, with California. But talk a little bit about the footprint that you're responsible for uh, in California and those surrounding areas. Sure. So, uh, you know, we, we started in Southern California here. We've been expanding our footprint out of the greater LA area, uh, through programs that, uh, we were awarded, uh, for construction for rural schools in 2016 through this year, we were the biggest, uh, award winner in California for network construction for K-12 schools and libraries. And what that allowed us to do is really accelerate our rural footprint, uh, through those programs and, and build out. So we now operate the largest in terms of total size of network uh, coverage, the largest network in the state of California. So we pretty much go border to border, north, south, east, and west. Um, through some additional programs, uh, like the $88 million contract we have with the federal government in 2018, through the Connect America Fund 2 program, and the one that we're about to go from a provisional winner to a full-fledged winner in the uh, Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, which is a, a $235 million award that will continue to densify us in some of those more rural regions in California. Beyond California, we've got an expanding footprint in Arizona and Nevada as well. We picked up a lot of territory in RDOF in the uh, the state of Arizona, which is exciting. So we were the largest winner nationally uh, in that state as well. What I think has also been exciting is both uh, the governor's office uh, in Nevada and Arizona have reached out to us uh, and are working with us, have a meeting actually later this afternoon with them on how we can really accelerate uh, broadband deployment in those states uh, and push our footprint out wider than what we're just obligated to do with RDOF through other government programs they have there, accessibility to government lands and uh, other RFPs and funding programs that they, they're running as well. Excellent, excellent. So uh, very clearly, and, and that was uh, um, one of the interests that we commonly have on this show about uh, federal funding that comes through for the fixed wireless business. Uh, you mentioned CAF2 and, and ARDOF, which we all all know so well. So uh, in terms of fixed wireless, um, just a general question, how viable is fixed wireless today? And then moving into the future, I know it has many advantages over, over other forms of uh, network infrastructure. But talk a little bit about that uh, um, that decision for you guys to move forward in, a, in the fixed wireless market then. Yeah, so fixed wireless, um, you know, has light shed on it, both in the positive and the negative out there in the industry. Um, and, you know, the negative was something that we had to deal with from a challenge uh, in terms of some misconceptions out there into what it does and what it doesn't do. Fixed wireless is a fantastic technology that's been used since the 1950s to, you know, to bridge technology gap, uh, uh, data communications gaps uh, as a great technology. It's only unreliable when not engineered properly. And unfortunately, sometimes people or operators don't engineer it properly, and that gives people a, a bad uh, perception of it when it's not the technology, it's actually the provider's issue. You know, an analogy I always used was if you had a landline circuit that was fiber or cable and, and it wasn't operating properly, you'd call the provider and you'd blame them and tell them to fix it. For some reason, people have instead on a fixed wireless approach, you know, blame the technology versus the provider when they need to always hold the provider accountable. So for us, fixed wireless has been such a flexible technology because it allows you to span great distances uh, at a lower cost and with a lot less environmental impact than fiber. Uh, it was one of the reasons that we've been the big winner uh, for, you know, four years straight in the state of California for rural schools. 
was these areas were just not viable from a financial standpoint or from an environmental impact standpoint to build a terrestrial service to these schools. So there had been large amounts of grants available for them for a long period of time, uh, and no provider was picking them up, and no fixed wireless guy really knew how to how to do the construction piece. Well, we went in and we built not only the communications facilities, but the towers uh, and the solar uh, slash electrical facilities to, to power these stations. So we see fixed wireless as a really, really exciting option going forward. Not to say we won't be bringing other technologies like fiber into the fold, because ultimately a hybrid network using each technology where it makes the most sense we think is the best technology going forward. Um, but, you know, there are some challenges getting to some of the higher speeds, like in RDOF, there's a lot of people that went into the gigabit tier uh, and gigabit is not, you know, uh, a capability usually associated with fixed wireless in rural environments. So we actually developed our own radio. Uh, we started on that path a little over three years ago that we got type approval at the FCC for in December. And we're rolling out our first you know, significant batches of those right now that can do gigabit capable connections at over two miles of distance wow. on unlicensed spectrum, which is a huge, huge benefit. We also have a licensed spectrum version and we're in the process of acquiring a large chunk of millimeter wave spectrum that'll stretch that to about a four, four and a half mile broadcast radius, which is even more exciting. And we'll be continuing to make other versions to utilize uh, spectrum holdings of operators uh, for that as well. You mentioned something really interesting to to us that we hear often, obviously, in the last year or so, um, now that COVID-19 is a reality uh, in our broadband environment. Uh, and we're hearing about school systems and those school systems, uh, you know, the, the priority and the need for them to remain connected, to keep people online, to keep classrooms moving forward and in, uh, in connectivity between teachers and students. Um, what kind of requests are you seeing in your areas? Are you starting to see schools mandate that they have uh, more reliable systems in place? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So we've actually been working with a number of school districts. We've had a few pay us for feasibility study projects on building their own communications networks. And mm. it comes down to exactly the reason that you're talking about mm -hmm. is there the, the, the spotlight has been sh shine shown on uh, those that have connected connectivity and those that do not uh, through COVID. And unfortunately it was a lot of the lower income uh, students that did not have any connectivity or proper connectivity, you know, something like a, a cell phone is not really proper connectivity for long-term, right. um, you know, connections during the day. So we're working with a couple of school districts on finding out, you know, what the financial viability is uh, to do this, to build the networks um, right now. Uh, we've got about five or six school districts that are interested. One that is kind of the, the leading the charge on it. Um, overall, the state of California has spent over a billion dollars so far on the little MiFi hotspots. Uh, just to, to give out to students right now, which is wow. really not a, a financially viable long-term solution because it's so expensive. The data is used you know, so significantly and the data rates aren't great in a lot of areas where the connections are weak. So this is something that has to get solved, whether it's through you know, probably a public-private public kind of partnership like we're looking at mm -hmm. with some of these school districts or uh, you know, building an entire network from the ground up for the school district. Um, you know, it's, it's really about assessing what the, the financial capabilities will be of the school, both for the construction and the long-term operation of the network. And that's what we're working through now. Great, great. You know, as we said, such a priority for, for the schools to remain connected. And, uh, you know, the, the two biggest uh, 
industries that we you know we see affected here obviously are you know school districts school systems and and healthcare now how is uh, how is geolink's strategy in that and now, now that you've mentioned being so flexible and being able to put up um, uh, towers and uh, get people online so quickly how, how is that now affecting uh, healthcare in these rural areas yeah, good question. So um, we've been responding to RFPs for healthcare for a few years now. I think we're we're starting to get more traction in terms of you know building more rural connectivity options. We we built a few very very rural hospitals out over the last few years where we built ever the entire uh, kind of pipeline of the connection from uh, the data center all the way out to the hospital. Uh, we're continuing to do that, and we we continue to be surprised at finding what kind of exorbitant rates some of these rural hospitals are paying for old copper connections. They're bonding, you know, multiple T1s or they have a DS3 or something along those lines that are, they're paying sometimes $10,000 a month or more for wow. 12, 15, 25 megabits of access. So we're able to build them out and, you know, it's six to nine months for construction, a connection that can be a hundred megs, 200 megs or a gigabit or more uh, for uh, less total cost. So um, it's really about getting the awareness out there to these hospitals. And we're working through some groups that represent them and do the procurement for their data circuits uh, that there are alternative options available because so many of them have gotten, you know, I would say discouraged because they've sat for so long with no alternative options. They've kind of got exhausted looking for them. So it's really about letting them know that there are things available while they do require construction. They will ultimately, you know, radically crank up the data capacity and lower the cost. Wow. Well, so um, as you are, you know, in the midst of all these uh, infrastructure um, uh, building and uh, and like we mentioned before, dealing with COVID-19, how has how your staff, uh, how has your staff uh, responded to this? I, it, did you have to make massive changes? Uh, how easy was that to get everybody on board and sign a, kind of create some new uh, processes for that? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's it's been you know a little bit of a challenge. I think like it has been for every company. You know, we've been a uh, a critical infrastructure company, so there was never any shutdown for us. You know, everyone's got to keep the the internet connections on. But you know, as the the pandemic originally came towards us, you know, we like everyone were you know uh, adjusting with an abundance of caution. We sent everybody to work from home. That seemed to work good for a while. It was you know. I'd say a few months into it, we started to notice some of the cracks. Um, I think just, you know, people not being together, uh, you know, all being at home, just started to strain relationships a little bit where people weren't working as collaboratively or, you know, there was a little bit more of the stress <laughs> going on from everything that everyone was experiencing and a little, you know, finger pointing that, you know, within the organization that, we, you know, we started to see. So we, we, we moved to kind of a your choice model, which is, you know, if you want to come in, please come in. If you feel like you need to stay home, you can stay home. Um, you know, we obviously sanitized our our office and, you know, did all the, the usual steps like that that we could take, uh, provided, you know, PPE equipment and whatnot to our, our field staff. And I would say about 75 to 80% of the staff are back in the office now. We've got a small percentage that are still, you know, hesitant about coming in and we're going to be moving to asking everyone to come back in fairly soon. I think one of the most difficult things was, was during kind of the height of it um, in the middle was our customers were very concerned about having installations. And we had this huge backlog of orders because they were putting them off and we were trying to figure out, you know, how to deal with that, how to get them comfortable, 
uh, for accepting the installations. And we're, we're still kind of moving through that backlog, actually, uh, of orders uh, because of those kind of concerns. But I think we will, were able to alleviate a lot of them. Overall, we've had, I think, five or six positive cases within our company, um, and we were able to navigate those quite well. Um, and, you know, granted, we're a pretty young company. Our average age is 32 years old. Um, you know, luckily, we, we haven't been in a high-risk category. You're listening to The Broadband Bunch, and we're visiting with Skylar Ditchfield, the co-founder and chief executive officer of Geolinks. And so much of what you've already shared, uh, Skylar, is, is so exciting, but uh, what you are doing at Geolinks, certainly not limited to here in the U.S. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, an exciting announcement of a partnership and launch of a new platform uh, that uh, takes you to uh, a different part of the world in Slovenia uh, with a partnership with Globetail. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it was three or four years, actually, yeah, four years ago, now that it's 2021, um, that we set out looking for a solution to the impending issue of utilizing five gigahertz as our primary uh, delivery method. Um, if you know fixed wireless, five gigahertz is the unlicensed spectrum that most point to multi-point operators operate in. And it is increasingly congested, especially in the urban and suburban environments. So while the demand for uh, data is going up, the amount of devices in that spectrum is also going up, which means the ability to deliver data is going down. So we had to find a way around that. Uh, we looked at acquiring spectrum as, a, as one route, but that may not be affordable because it's very exp expensive. So we looked at how do we work with the regulatory framework that's put forward by the FCC to utilize lightly licensed or unlicensed spectrum to deliver gigabit capable services. We worked with a number of companies, uh, big names, uh, put forward our ideas on the solution that we thought would work for this. And unfortunately, uh, well, or, or I should say, fortunately, those fa failed because we ultimately then wound up with a partnership with Globetel out of Slovenia. I've been working with a gentleman named Pavle over there who has been their business development lead, a fantastic guy to work with, fantastic team all around. Uh, I have to say, I've had a lot of working relationships with companies over the years. And I don't mean just to say this because we're, we're, we're working with them, but these guys have shown a work ethic, uh, a dedication to innovation, um, and a willingness to be flexible with us that I, I haven't experienced with any other partner uh, to date. So uh, we developed a 70 and 80 gigahertz radio that operates in uh, 69 to 71 gigahertz, which is allowed for unlicensed point to multi-point use by the FCC, uh, which is very exciting. We've got a two gigahertz chunk there. And for the ability to house four of these 90-degree sectors on a single uh, broadcast space, we needed another 2 gigahertz of spectrum that wasn't in the oxygen absorption range like the mid-60 gigahertz is. So that led us to using the 81 to 86 gigahertz spectrum and the lower 2 gigs of that uh, to do the point-to-point, -point, which is the return uh, spectrum from the client side to the access point. So we're using a point-to-multi-point from the tower to the client and then from the client to the tower, we're using a lightly licensed point-to-point -point, uh, uh, band, which has allowed us, uh, you know, four gigs of total spectrum to be utilized there, uh, which is very exciting and allows us the ability to deliver actually up to almost four gigs of downstream um, from a single sector uh, to a client. And we're operating that all on the DOCSIS 3.1 protocol, which is what cable operators work on today. So we think that's very exciting because it's a very known and utilized standard in the industry. 
but it also is going to provide an, a very exciting option for wireless extension of cable networks today. So you see, you know, Spectrum participated big in RDOF. You got guys like Cable One that are making investments in wireless companies like Whisper and Nextlink, um, and, and a big movement for the cable operators towards wireless. So we think we're going to offer them uh, an unlicensed approach that's very exciting in the 70 and 80 gig bands to extend their networks wirelessly and cover more territory, and then also be able to partner that with some of the Spectrum holdings we have in the 28 gigahertz bands to extend their network as well. So. All around, you know, we're really excited to have a, a first of its kind and a radio a radio platform that actually exceeds anything else out in the market by a huge amount in terms of data and uh, broadcast radius. Well, man, you guys are all over it. That is fabulous to hear. And, you know, we we get a couple of different cross sections of people that listen to our show globally. Um, and it definitely speaks to uh, uh, the tech section. Um you guys are all over all those spectrums. It's just amazing. You know, a couple things that I heard, what you just said was partnerships and innovation. And, you know, as we know, it being in business in America and globally, um, a business has to focus on their core competency and bringing partners into the loop that do other things that uh, uh, so you can marry your skills together. How important is that to Geolinks right now and moving forward and currently in, uh, in your environment? Oh, it's absolutely critical. I mean, the point you said about sticking to your core competencies is something you have to kind of slap yourself in the face on every every time you see an opportunity <laughs> that's outside of that. And go, hey, pay attention to what's in front of you. You know, <laughs> you, you've already got more than you, you can eat because there's so much opportunity in the broadband space now. So you know, you say either I'm going to say no or I'm going to bring in a partner that can help us do that. So you know, did we initially have the thought of let's build a radio ourselves? We did, but we realized that that is not our core competence. We need to go find a partner that can do that. Um, and we're looking to that in other aspects of the business as well, whether it's tower construction, fiber construction, and we're outsourcing some of our uh, fixed wireless builds now because we're at a, a point that scaling our own teams internally is just uh, uh, needs to go faster than we can hire and train as well. So, uh, we, we were partnering with a with a college to do some training of veterans as well uh, to bring them in and, and get them certified as, as Geolinks infrastructure builders. So there's so many opportunities when you partner. Um, you know, it will cost you a little bit more than doing it in house, but ultimately the ability to scale rapidly and uh, avoid those pain points pays off better in the long run. Wow, and, and kind of on that uh, on that innovation vertical, um, as you're growing your networks and um, now you have global partnerships and uh, uh, you, you're going to be able to uh, build your infrastructure, uh, this fixed wireless infrastructure that, that's flexible um, and shorter time to, uh, to deployment and things like that. Uh, how, how is that IoT piece going to fit into this? Are you, you know, we talked about schools, we talked about healthcare. How is that IoT world coming in? Is that, is, is that varied? Is it coming in in a lot of different types of industries? What, what are you seeing from that IoT area? Yeah, great question. So IoT is something I've been hearing about for a long time. And, and I used to brush it off and just like IoT, you know, what the heck is that? Is it really <laughs> going anywhere? Is it going to be connected cars or sensors in concrete? And I kind of thought it was a, a far-fetched idea until about three years ago, um, we got our first kind of, you know, hit on the, on a on the line for that uh, in terms of business opportunities. And that was putting up camera sensors uh, in a partnership with uh, Alert Wildfire uh, and the utility companies here in California, PG&E and Southern California Edison. 
And we've been rolling those out now uh, for the past three years in a very successful program uh, where we put up more cameras to detect uh, wildfires, to provide situational awareness, and to inspect uh, utility company assets together. So that's rolling along really, really nicely for us. It's now producing a lot of revenue. And we've now, uh, in the last year, said, okay, where can we further take this IoT aspect? And really, you know, how broad is it? And, and what does the market look like? And in doing that, we formed a partnership with a company called Senate. We put out a press release recently. They are backed by a company who is actually our neighbor. We share a parking lot with called Semtech. They're a multi-billion dollar publicly traded company, and they own the LoRaWAN platform, which is the number one IoT-based uh, communications protocol in the world. It operates with extremely long-range communications in the 900 megahertz spectrum, uh, very, very low power. So you can actually put if, uh, a AA battery in one of these devices, and it can live in the field for up to 10 years doing low data communication. So that is a game changer because it opens up so many more opportunities and possibilities. So we are looking at uh, opportunities now in oil and gas, everything from pipeline monitoring Mm -hmm. to tank monitoring, asset tracking, um, everything from tracking beer kegs, because I just found out recently 20% of those go missing from manufacturing to the (laughs) end point. (laughs) And they're 85 bucks a piece. Oh, wow. a $10 sensor on it and know where these things are and cut your, your loss. It's, it's a big deal. Um, the, the amount of opportunities for IOT is just massive. And I think we're on the front wave of that right now where you've got big utilities like gas, water, oil, um, that have piping and storage conditions that they can lose tons of money if they have a leak, uh, or a disruption in that flow. And adding these sensors in has a big ROI for them. So we're looking at opportunities right now uh, across the state of California, and we're rolling out um, the actual gateways that will do the communications with these IoT devices across our entire network in the year of 2021 so that when the customers come and raise their hand and say, we want IoT connectivity, we've got blanket coverage already in in our entire uh, uh, area. And given that these broadcast about 40 miles from a single uh, tower, uh, we, we will have blanket coverage across the whole state, but we're looking at you know opportunities from sixty thousand units to four hundred thousand units going out there for things like uh, tank monitoring, pipeline monitoring, and things like that. And it's been forecasted over the next five years there's going to be something like uh, four hundred billion uh, IoT opportunities in, in the piping industries alone uh, across uh, America. That's amazing, and fixed wireless networks will be supporting all of that. That's fabulous. Exactly right. Love yeah. it. I love it. I love it. Well, always on our show, we like to hear um, some of that impassioned side of you know your career path and where you've come from to where where you where you are now. So, on a daily basis, what continues to keep you fired up about uh, what's going on at Geolinks and in the market and industry? Also, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know. Um, there's so many ebbs and flows day to day, week to week and month to month when you're in a a fast growing business. And I was just on our weekly managers meeting that we conduct via zoom now this morning with our, with our management team and talking to them about, you know, the challenges that we face every day, being in a business that is not static, um, that's ever growing and changing. And that means you're doing a different job every three months and it can be very stressful, but, uh, I try to keep them focused on our big goal, which is we want to be a company with a multi-billion dollar enterprise value. And we have a clear path that we can see to achieve that and continue to do well 
while doing well for ourselves. And what, what that means is, you know, providing good services for our customers, really treating our customers like we would like to be treated. That's one of the mottos that I mm-hmm. instill in our entire team. And make digestible milestones that we can feel accomplished on the way to that big milestone. Because if you just put one massive milestone out there, you feel like you're never going after it. And you need those small wins on a day-to-day, a week-by-week, and a month-by-month basis. And I have to do that for myself as well. So that you feel like, okay, I got to win. I put something behind me. I got to win. I put something behind me. But what keeps me really engaged and excited is that we're really on a, a hockey stick trajectory of opportunity in the broadband space. Um, and I've really had to talk to myself and our team members that we're now in a place of where it's not uh, opportunity that that's the issue for us. It's really the discipline of saying no and picking the right opportunities. And that's a real mindset shift uh, from being, you know, an entrepreneurial mindset where you're scrapping for the opportunity for many years and now you have more uh, than you can deal with. So uh, that I, I think is a motivator as well, because it's a, it's something that allows you to say, Hey, we've made it. We're, we're doing well. There's so much here now you know, pat yourself on the back and uh, realize that, you know, we're now in a place that we need to be picky and choose what's best for us. That's great. And and how, how important or, or how fun is it that you're sharing it with a family member in your organization also? Yeah, it, it, it's fun. You know, Ryan and I, like I said, we grew up together. We're pretty much like brothers. Um, and uh, I think the best part about it all is that we trust each other completely. Um, I've had biz- bad business partnerships, you know, I think we've all had bad friendships and, and things like that along the years, but having someone that trusts me in what I do and I trust him in what he does, uh, and there's never a hint of, you know, any concern on that front is the biggest peace of mind I think you could possibly have in a business. So I'm very, very grateful to have him. Um, he's, he's been a, a wonderful teammate and a wonderful partner. And, you know, at the end of the day, we get to kind of, you know, uh, sit in our success together. And that's, you know, always fun as well. I think, you know, as you're, you're growing with a company and it goes beyond just your partner, but to the rest of your executive team and your employees, it's great for you all to feel uh, that success because it's, it's not fun just winning alone. It's fun winning with a team. You know, it's obvious, Skylar, that you have such passion for what you're doing and the tremendous success uh, at GeoLinks. And there, there obviously uh, are a lot of great stories that uh, you could recall over the time that you've been in the industry. Are there any that come to the top of your mind as we begin to wrap up our visit today? Oh, um, well, I'll tell them it's kind of interesting and funny. Uh, (laughs) Just in our early days, we had met a gentleman who owned a lot of tower sites, a very wealthy individual. I think he called himself the $100 million man was one of the names. All right. I like that. (laughs) And he was was very anti-government, which... uh, you know, is, is some, uh, an opinion you'll find with some people. I, I find that, you know, I think you should have a healthy fear and a healthy relationship with the government. So <laughs> you should have a, a little of both. But he was dealing with regulatory issues, which we all find a bit, you know, constraining here in the state of California from a business aspect. And uh, the, the state was giving him a lot of issue at one of his tower sites. And he decided instead of dealing with them anymore, that he would put up a fence around the property and fill it with cougars. And that would keep the <laughs> off. And, uh, it led to, a, I think it led to a newspaper article and ultimately a, a big lawsuit, which he, I think he enjoyed. I think he liked the, uh, that, but I remember him saying that one day he even let the cougars out of the pen to chase 
some of the uh, officials off the mountaintop and they never came back. <laughs> very, very smitten with himself over lunch about that. <laughs> oh, oh my man. God. You hit a home run with that story. Yeah, I think that uh, that qualifies as a uh, as an all time <laughs> story here on the broadband bunch. Oh, my goodness. This, this has been great, Skylar, and, and uh, I, I wish that we had more time today to visit, but uh, I would love to, to go ahead and uh, be able to look forward down the road uh, at a time where we can circle back and visit more because you have so much going on at Geolinks. Uh, the work that you're doing, you and your team, phenomenal. Uh, Brad, I know you concur. Uh, so impressed with what you are doing, and we appreciate you sharing your time and the stories uh, that you have with us today. No, likewise. Thank you guys very much. I'd love to continue to share. There's always so much going on. You only think of so much, you know, when you're on the air for, you know, a a few minutes. So um, I'll look forward to the next session with you and I appreciate the the opportunity. That sounds great. And on behalf of Brad, I'm Craig. And thanks so much to Scott. That's going to wrap up this edition. We thank you for letting us be a part of your day. And we'll see you next time right here on the Broadband Bunch. So long, everybody.